This morning we hear again from the Gospel of Matthew, and we see this ongoing and escalating tension between Jesus and the religious leaders. These religious leaders are threatened in many ways by Jesus, by his popularity, with crowds that follow him everywhere he goes. And they're also threatened because he's teaching with authority, as we've recently heard, and in ways that are not necessarily contradicting the teachings of the Pharisees or the scribes, but is, but is a, a bit of a challenge. And so here we have in this gospel text, the Pharisees are plotting, and it's the, the word in the scripture today was entrapped. They're trying to entrap Jesus by giving him a trick question. And their hope by asking this question is to make Jesus look bad. And they frame this question that if he answers yes, it's bad, and if he answers no, it's also bad. So let's take a look at that question once again. The, after giving some sort of false flattery, uh, they ask him, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? So why is that a trick question? Well, very simply, if, it's, if Jesus says it's lawful to pay taxes to the emperor, it would seem that he's saying we should support the Romans. The Roman Empire conquered Israel, the Jewish people, and, and really the whole known world. And they do so through military strength, and then they pay for all of that empire building through this oppressive system of taxation. They would tax up to 70% of a person's income would go to support the empire. And so if Jesus says, yes, it's lawful to pay taxes to the empire, it's almost like you're uh, condoning this oppression. Now, if he says, no, it's not lawful, we shouldn't support the Romans, then they go, well, see, Jesus is a zealot. He's trying to rebel. And then the Pharisees and scribes and religious leaders would then have the fodder they needed to accuse Jesus and, and to get the Romans involved, which, of course, by the end of Holy Week, they are involved, but not because of how he answers this question about taxation. Jesus' answer, because he sees their hearts, Despite their flattery, he sees their hearts, he knows that they're up to no good. And he basically says, whose picture is on the coin? And his ultimate answer is, give, give to Caesar or the emperor the things that are the emperor's and give to God the things that are God. And effectively, he says, your question isn't very good and I'm not going to engage with you. But he also brings to fore, for I think us to contemplate, and certainly the people of his day, is how are we as people of faith to engage with our government? So that's what I want to talk a little bit about today, is how should we think about the government? And maybe that's not a popular topic to talk about, and we can all have our complaints, and that's not 
my goal today, but to think of as a, from a perspective of faith. How shall we navigate? Because Jesus' answer sort of leaves it open. So the two things I want to share with you today are from Luther, and he talks about two kinds of righteousness, civil righteousness and spiritual righteousness. So civil righteousness is this idea of, of how shall we uh, engage correctly or in a right way with our government. So Jesus uh, says, give to Caesar or give to the emperor the things that are the emperor. So let's, let's play this out for a moment. If we said, well, I'm a person of faith and my only loyalty is to God, therefore, speed limits don't apply to me. Or the laws of the criminal code don't apply to me because my loyalty is not to the government, but only to God. What would happen to our culture if people could just opt out of laws and rules? Now, we can debate some of the merits of some laws, but a lot of them hold a structure and safety together. And in Romans, we have a, a passage from Paul where he talks about not only are those laws important, but in some ways those structures come from God. So if we can put that up on the screen. It's from Romans 13, where Paul is talking about the earthly structures. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those authorities that exist have been instituted by God. That is quite a statement. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. There's no authority except from God. In other words, what Paul is saying, this is probably as strong a statement you could make, is that wherever there's a government authority, it came from God. Did anyone's stomach get a little squeamish there? <laughs> so in some ways, uh, Paul and Jesus seem to agree, give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, participate be part of uh, society, obey the law, be a good citizen, seems to be one message we can take from this. But is there a limit? Is there a limit? Is there a time when we ought not to follow the law? Well, Jesus himself gives us a clue. And I think it, it's all wrapped around love of neighbor. When our government is at its best, it creates the environment where love of neighbor is lived out. We obey the laws because we want safety for ourselves and safety for each other. We participate in our system of our, of our country by paying taxes, which pay for roads and bridges and schools and all the things that we need to hopefully have a harmonious uh, community and country. Now, that doesn't always work perfectly, but in theory, I think Paul is right. We should obey the law. But Jesus, we have to remember, was a convicted felon. He's brought before Pilate with charges 
Uh, first of blasphemy, claiming that he was God. And then secondly, from the Romans' perspective, the reason they're interested in getting rid of Jesus is that he's a threat to, uh, to cause violence, right? They, they see him as a rabble-rouser, some kind of uh, insurrectionist or something along those lines. And so when Jesus is brought before Pilate, he refuses to engage. This comes from later in the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus stood before the governor, stood before Pilate, and he says, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus says, if you say so. But when he accused by the chief priests, he did not answer. And the text goes on from there. Uh, so Jesus refuses to engage the governor. Standing before accused and says, basically, this is a sham. And I'm not going to engage with you, so I'm going to remain silent. So sometimes in the face of our government, people of faith are called to civil disobedience, that we have to protest the things that are unjust, unfair. We don't have to participate just because our government says it is a certain way if we as people of faith, people of integrity, people who are moved by love of neighbor see it as something unjust, it is up to us to decide. And Jesus gives us a model of standing up, and in this case, saying nothing. So how do we decide? How do we as people of faith decide when to follow, and when to dis, you know, participate in civil disobedience. How is that decided? Well, sometimes I think in our culture, it's what team are you on? And it really gets boiled down to a binary. If you're a Republican, then you say X, and if you're a Democrat, you say Y. And it gets so simplified, and I think in a way that's very unhelpful. To me, it's always about our individual conscience. How can we, through prayer and discernment, decide what we believe in our heart to be the right decision? Are we standing up for ourselves and for the most vulnerable? Are we on the side of love of neighbor? And can we, through a, that process, a spiritual process, come to the decision that's right for us. Civil righteousness. How do we stay in right relationship as we live amongst each other? Luther talked about this. He also talked about spiritual righteousness. How do we live out our faith in the midst of each other? And sometimes, as I said, that means following the law and, and, and participating, and other times that may mean standing up. But to be grounded in our relationship with God, to be grounded in whom God says we are, children of God first and foremost, beloved, how do we live that out in the world? Earlier in the Gospel of Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives two well-known but worth-repeating visions of how we live out our faith in the world. 
He says, first of all, you are the salt of the earth. But if a salt loses its taste, or saltiness can't be restored, it's no longer good for anything, but it's thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the salt of the earth. In other words, as we live out our faith in an everyday way, this means to be engaged in the issues of our day, but without losing our saltiness or our connection to God. To be in the world, but not of the world. That we stand apart from the political discussions of our day, but we engage in the issues that matter to people. We don't have to just choose team red or team blue, we can be on team Jesus, which doesn't always consistently, you know, cut the way uh, the pundits would, would have us do. It's a matter of prayer and discernment, to be in the world but not of it, to be the, the salt of the earth. And then later in that same passage, Jesus says, you are the light of the world, a city built on a hill, cannot be hid. And then he goes on from there. He says, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. You are the light of the world. Notice it doesn't say you are the heat of the world. Sometimes light produces heat, right? And sometimes what we need to be is a light in the world that illuminates, but doesn't continue to raise the temperature? How can we be in those situations and share God's love, illuminating hearts and minds, maybe to think of something in a new way? In the next 12 months or so, the temperature politically in our country is going to be turned up. You'll be inundated with all kinds of messages telling you who you should be afraid of and who's to blame. We are called, I believe, to a different path, a path filled with righteousness and love that comes from God, a path that allows people to see in themselves something that God has made beloved and to see in each other God's goodness so let us be whom God already says we are, the light of the world. Amen.